Today I've got a very special guest for you, Marissa Donnelly. And the reason I've invited her onto the show is because she is the absolute symbol of success in an artistic pursuit. She's turned writing into a fabulously successful career. She understands how difficult it is for artistic people to turn their hobby or their passion into a full-time income. Not only that, she's a master at helping people overcome creative blocks to get their voice out there, whether it's writing or art or music or anything else. So stay tuned because Marissa's got some awesome advice. And if you're an artistic person who felt like the school system held them back from expressing themselves and making a career out of it, you need to listen to Marissa. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. Well, I think, Marissa, to get started, we need to introduce you to people who don't know you already. You'll be new to a lot of my audience, but one of the reasons I reached out to you is because I'm looking to help creative types in my audience find the courage to explore their passion and make it into a a real-life living or whatever you want to call it, vocation, and you're someone I put as uh, on the top of the list of someone who's actually made that happen in an industry that's really hard to do that both sort of social pressure wise and practically to actually make it happen. So when we start, maybe just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do for a living or whatever it is you even call it. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm Marissa Donnelly. I'm a writer and editor. Um, Primarily, I um, am writing content for different businesses, blogs, brands, uh, as well as my own content. And then I am a writing coach and editor through my own business. So I work with clients um, all over the world and help them to hone in on their own voice and to create um, writing of their own, whether that's for business or professional use or personal use, um, helping with things like cover letters, resumes, pretty much anything. Um, Those are my two main jobs. And then I do some teaching and tutoring in there under my business as well. So kind of all over the place, but um, definitely a lot of fun and keeps me busy. (laughs) Yeah. That's like everything you could possibly do writing wise. Um, (laughs) And and I think it's important. So you've got like these, I think it's like almost three elements there. One is writing for yourself, your own content. I want to check in with you a bit more detail about that. Then two is kind of like the business style of writing, writing content and so on for companies. And then three is teaching and tutoring and helping others to write. It's like the whole spectrum of writing. But tell us a bit more about your, like your more personal writing, the writing you do for you or what you call your content. Yeah, so that's actually where everything started. Um, Back when I, even earlier than college is when I just was enjoying writing for myself. Um, I started a blog just for fun and I was always, always journaling. I had like 10, like this thick size journals. Um, So that's kind of where it all started is just the personal writing. And um, that's kind of where I get to be the most creative with my own personal voice. I have several different websites that I run. Um, I have like my business one, of course. I have a personal blog. I have one that's dedicated to like fitness and um, lifestyle, one that's dedicated to teaching, which is kind of another story. <laughs> um, and then I recently became a bonus mom to my boyfriend's son. So now I have a website of just all content related to motherhood and parenting and just kind of, it's my way to release and, um, also connect with my audience and then share just what I consider to be very vulnerable pieces of work that help, you know, people to know they're not alone. That's kind of like my most important focus. And then of course, to make a living off of that in terms of writing sponsored posts or connecting with brands, um, et cetera. But 
yeah, that and social media is where I do a lot of my personal writing. God, the words must just pour out. That just sounds like <laughs> so much content. That's the first kind of personal question that comes up for me straight away. I'm a writer as well, and I have good days and bad days when it comes to writing. From what you describe, you sound like someone who doesn't suffer from writer's block whatsoever, but I want to check in with you. Like, I guess, what, what's your secret to being able to pump out so much, to express yourself so much and create so much like that? This is actually something I love to talk about because um, my perspective is a little bit different than a lot of people's. I, I truly believe that writer's block is not real and not to like diminish it because I know that everybody faces moments where they're like, I don't know what to write, myself included. Um, I guess I just don't categorize it as writer's block. I see it more of, you know, there's something that's getting in the way of your writing and whether that's primarily, I would say it's fear. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's two things. It's either fear or it's like self hatred or negative self-talk where it's like either you're scared to move forward with it or you're telling yourself you can't. And so that's inhibiting you from actually getting words out. And so I guess my secret, if you would say, is um, I just tell myself, okay, I'm going to do a brain dump. I'm just going to write anything and everything that comes to mind. So sometimes I'll start, you know, like a reflection on the day. Like I feel this way or this happened today and it kind of starts to weave itself into something else. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have moments where I just completely don't feel like writing. And, and when that happens, I'll go take a walk and then I'll come back and, you know, maybe I'll start by like looking at my calendar and writing out a plan of, you know, what, what are my deadlines coming up or what are my goals? And then that kind of inspires me to start working on something. Or I have a running list of probably, I don't know, a hundred different headline ideas, um, title ideas of posts. So sometimes if I'm like, I don't even know, I'll go look through and just read those. And sometimes that'll inspire something. It might, I might not even take that, that title, but I'll say, Oh, you know, this is kind of a neat idea. Okay. And then I'll just grab it and start writing something else. So I truly think that it's more of like, how do we get over the block and find a way to write something? It's not going to be good. Like 90% of the time, it's not great, but at least you're getting words on a paper or you're typing something and then that at least opens the gate. So you're not sitting there looking at the blank screen. Interesting. So it, it sounds like your theory on writer's block is that it's more about courage than it is about creativity. So somebody holds himself back. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it, like for me, it was fear. Um, before I started my original blog, which was the first thing I ever published online, it was like months and months of like, I'm going to do it no, I'm not, no one's going to read it, you know, just like talking myself out of it. And then I, I launched it and I had all these drafts of posts that I, I didn't want to publish because I felt like they weren't good enough. So I think from my experience, it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of like self-doubt. So I've just kind of, I, I feel like that's what I see most often with my clients is that they have these great ideas, but they're reluctant to share them. Or they'll say, you know, I made some revisions, but I don't think they're any good. And they won't even share them with me as their editor. And so I have to like, pull it out of them and it's like hey you know this isn't bad let's let's see what we can do with this so yeah I really do think it's a combination of of fear and not having that courage and once you break past that then the creativity flows yeah that's a really good point because I think a lot of people I mean I say writer's block but I know that there'll be musicians listening to this and other artists and I consider that all to be the same thing it's you know it's truthful mm -hmm. expression so to speak and they, they see it as a creative problem. They think they can't think of ideas or they think they don't know how to put it into words or they don't know where to start. But I'm actually with you. I think 
there's something deeper happening that kind of blocks them. They feel blocked. Like there are no ideas coming up perhaps, or the ideas coming up, they're calling them stupid or worthless Mm -hmm. or whatever and dismissing them. So I'd like to backtrack a little bit because it's good to hear that you actually had a difficult phase before you kind of, shall we say, launched. In that moment, you represent, I think, a lot of the people who are listening, which are people who have a talent for an art and they have been practicing it, but they've never kind of crossed that line to exposing it to the world for for judgment and and to allow other people to see it and and either benefit from it or not like it. How were you able to cross that line and what kind of struggles did you face building up to that? I think that is the hardest thing about being a creator. It's not, um, in my opinion, it's not the work. It's not the hours. I think once you, once you get yourself past that, you know, then, then you have the momentum to be like, okay, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take this project. I'm going to write this. I'm going to do this. You kind of get that, that confidence almost to keep yourself going. So it's really that starting that I think is just so complicated and so difficult and yet so crucial. Um, like I said, when I, before I first started my blog, I had, I'm not kidding, like 10 or 15 notebooks. I mean, they were this thick of just thoughts and ideas and writing. And I knew I wanted to start, you know, putting it online and start connecting with people. Um, but it took months. I mean, I, I bought the domain, I made the layout, and then I have all these drafts of posts that never were published. Um, it was probably, I would say like six months after I like launched the website. And this was, I mean, this was years ago. So it wasn't really like the way we would launch a website now. And the way I know now to launch a website was more of like, hey, here's my URL. Um, But yeah, it took like probably six months for me to finally be like, okay, nothing I'm writing is ever gonna be perfect. And a lot of people are gonna hate it, I'm sure. And a lot of people are gonna think it's not good enough, especially me. But if I ever want to grow as a writer, if I ever wanna do this for real, I have to put stuff out there and see what happens. And so that kind of like, that mindset was a big part of it. And then the other part of it was really learning to write for myself as opposed to writing to an audience. Um, I think that's like creator wide, you know, whether you're a musician or an artist or a writer, you can't always create with the intent of making it something that someone else will like or resonate with, because then I think we try to fit ourselves into a mold as opposed to just writing or creating what's within us and on our minds and in our hearts. Um, So that was big for me. It was like, okay, I'm not gonna try to write something that I think my invisible blog audience is gonna like. I'm gonna write for me. And I just honestly pretended like no one was reading it. Like I pretended that it was a private post that no one could see. And that really helped me to break out of that fear and, and start writing for myself. And then with time, you know, less of it being like a diary and more of it, outreaching but I think that's what it took is removing myself and removing um the fear of okay who's reading this who's looking at this are they going to like it are they going to hate it that was really big yeah and you know what the feedback I've had from creative types is that's the block I mean I think there's two there's two points where people get blocked one is like the person who's done a lot of art but they show nobody and that's crossing that line to the exposure and the other who's got like the art in them, but they haven't started. They've never released it. I do dancing now, but I didn't start dancing until my very late 20s. And I kind of wanted to dance my whole life. So there was that kind of block to it. I thought, you know, I'd get teased by my friends or something. And mm-hmm. I never started. That was that block. 
Whereas writing or reading and writing, I'd been doing my whole life, but I felt a huge amount of resistance and fear when I wrote my first book and was giving the draft to people to get some feedback, which was my first ever exposure for writing. It was borderline panic level of anxiety, just handing that over. It's, it's like walking outside naked, it felt. It's a perfect comparison. It really is, especially like anybody with creative arts or writing, it's like you're, you're stripping yourself naked and being like, hope you like what I have. You know, it's such an integral part of you. Um, and, you know, I think with time, you kind of learn to build a tougher skin in the sense of like critics um, and learning to value that feedback to help you grow while still kind of keeping within what you feel and what you believe is important to you. But yeah, that's that, that metaphor of, you know, being naked is, is so real. Yeah, the point you make about critics is one I'd like to dive into a little bit more as well. You and I both know that when you are writing for yourself and you're being truthful, then you get like a polarized response sometimes. When I first started getting negative responses, it hit me harder than I thought it would. I thought it'd be like water over dust back, but then some people said some really like accurate stuff, you know, <laughs> I'm like, ouch. Yeah. I'm keen to hear a little bit about how you dealt with your first experiences of what you might've seen as critical feedback or haters or trolls or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, so when I first jumped into the writing industry, I worked for a large online magazine um, that had a huge readership. It was like 30 million monthly readers. So we were getting a lot of eyes on our content. I was a staff writer and editor. And yeah, I was writing a lot of very personal essays, a lot of vulnerable content about love and relationships and faith. And those are all things that were really important to me to write about. Um, I had some really interesting uh, experiences with trolls. Um, more or less, it was just people that were approaching my writing from a certain perspective and kind of that hard place of me feeling like I needed to justify what I wrote and also wanting, you know, as a, as a new writer in the industry, wanting, you know, all the positive feedback and wanting to be liked as opposed to someone saying, this is stupid or I don't agree with this. One of the first articles that I had for um, this magazine that went viral was about um, not being a Netflix and chill girl because that was when that, that phrase was really popular. And there were people that read into the piece feeling like I accused or was talking down on people that, you know, enjoyed hookup culture. And it was like, that's not what I'm saying at all. So it was just this weird thing of, of learning that I didn't have to justify myself and my perspective when I'm just talking about myself and my perspective. And also learning that, you know, as I was reading through the comments, which I would advise, especially new writers, not to read through like comments on a, on a forum, um, because people that gave actually constructive or like useful critical feedback would actually take their time to email me. So I think sometimes with forums, it's kind of like this place where you can anonymously just say really hurtful things. Um, it's like you mentioned, I mean, people would say some accurate things and they would say just some really hurtful or derogatory things. So it's like on a public forum, you can't always take that, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Don't take it as truth. But if you are brave enough to look through the comments, which once you kind of grow a tougher skin, I would encourage you because sometimes there's useful things in there. Um, but when you grow a tougher skin and you're looking through that, you know, read for what you can take away to help you grow. So in terms of, you know, someone that said, oh, this perspective seems really limiting or, oh, you didn't really address this other side of the issue. And so then I kind of took that and, and in my next piece on the topic, I, I addressed, you know, the opposing side in a different way and, and made sure that I said, you know, 
this isn't to judge anyone who feels this way, but this is how I feel. So that did help my writing. But yeah, it's it's really tough. People, especially when they can be anonymous, will say kind of whatever they want. But I think part of a writer is understanding that not everyone is going to like what you put out into the world and that's okay. You know, you say that last bit so casually and, and I think it's because you've slowly gotten there over time, as you say, build, building that thick skin. Right now I'm working with a couple of musicians. They make music for other people, but their own personal work has never been released or shown. And they're happy to go on stage and play other people's music or play music that they wrote for a certain cause or for a business reason. But their own personal stuff that they do just for them, they're as terrified as if they'd never been on stage before. So I'm keen to, I guess, explore how did, how did you build that thicker skin? How did you get to the point where now you feel like, yeah, I'm going to put it out there and, and I'll just manage my reaction to the reactions? You know, at first, if you're like me, you would have been pretty terrified of the bad reactions. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if there was like one defining moment. I think because of the industry and because of the magazine I worked for, it was just, I was kind of thrown into that right away. You know, it was immediately my, my content is being published. People are reading it. I made a, you know, a business Facebook account. I made a, a, a public Instagram. So it was like, I didn't really have like a careful stepping stone. It went from here's my little blog to, oh shoot, these articles went viral and now I'm working here and you know, people are reading my content. So I don't, I don't think there was like, it just, I got thrown into it. And then, um, after reading, I mean, I read some very hurtful things, definitely cried, definitely did some introspection. And I think just the more that I wrote, the more comfortable I became with my own voice. I, and that's why, you know, on, on a side note, that's why I'm so passionate about what I do with writing coaching, because I think finding your own voice as a writer, just finding who you are in general is so important because then you can you can kind of find your avenue and find what's important to you. You can also kind of pave your career. So that's why I think teaching people to find who they are, especially creatively, is so important. But once I kind of like was writing more and figuring out who I was and what really mattered to me in terms of you know what I wanted to share with the world, then it kind of was less important what negativity people had to share, especially when it wasn't actually productive. And it was more like, you know, this girl's stupid. Okay, well, thanks for your opinion. <laughs> you know, so that helped me to kind of have a tougher skin. That and, you know, as I was sharing things and being really vulnerable, um, there were people that really resonated with what I had to say and how I handled critics because I would always, if I were to comment back, I would say, you know, like, thanks for your perspective. Like, I'm not really sure where you're getting this from or, you know, something like that where like I was always trying to handle those situations with grace and dignity and not, you know, getting into a comment war. And as I was being more and more vulnerable with what I was putting out there, I started to grow an audience. And then I focused more on how can I connect with the audience as opposed to how can I make these people who don't like me, like me, because that was just a waste of time. Yeah, that's interesting. Last year, actually, I tried to make a commitment to myself to not get into the comment wars. I found myself pulled in, you know, who pulls me in as the person who looks like they're making like an insightful piece of feedback. But then as you dig, they just get nasty. And you're like, oh, okay, this was never actually good, but now I'm in. I love that you've got this kind of uh, approach where the more you find your own voice, the less important the opinions of the the negative uh, crowd become because, you know, you're more focused on, on serving the people who actually love what you're doing. 
So that kind of like as your own voice builds and your desire to serve those who appreciate it, you know, that kind of builds at the same time. Your caring of what everyone else thinks seems to go down. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't mean that you want to disregard what other people are saying because there's a lot of value in reaching people who aren't so easily connected with you. So you don't want to just say, well, forget it. If you don't like me, I don't care. I mean, there's value in, in trying to connect with people, but when it's more negative and there's not really a productive, you know, when nothing is going to come out of it because this person just wants to talk crap about you, then that's kind of where you, you can distance yourself from that and just focus on what you feel is right. And just putting that out into the world over and over. Yeah. There's a big difference between a hater or a troll and someone who's trying to get your message, but they don't quite understand or they triggered them off a little bit and they're actually interested. They're just fighting it a bit. It's good to know that difference. That's actually good for me to hear sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, you're either in or you're out, but it's not quite that black and white. I, I actually want to hear a lot about what you do with your coaching to help others. Um, but before we get into that, there's a question that is burning me for anybody who's successful in the creative space. I personally remember school putting the arts at the bottom of the hierarchy. I remember it was always optional subjects. You did it like if you had time whereas the humanities and the sciences were compulsory and so on. And that seemed to be global from what I've established over the last sort of 50 years. So most people are raised with this kind of subtle messaging. Artistic stuff is secondary. It can't make an income. It's what you pay to do, but no one will pay you to do and so on. This messaging is very strong as we grow up. How were you able to follow that passion in spite of that background? that we're raised with? Um, it's kind of a two-part answer. So I always knew I wanted to do something with writing and creativity and arts, but I also did have that, you know, underlying message that you mentioned from the world where it's like, well, how is this realistic? So I kind of set myself up originally to be like, okay, I'm going to pursue this, but I'm also going to be realistic. Um, and so I, I went into what I knew was kind of a combination of the things that I loved teaching. Um, so I did teaching and creative writing simultaneously through school because I knew, you know, if I'm teaching, I can still write. If I can't do anything with writing, you know, I have this and I do love this. It's, it might not be as true to my heart as, you know, writing, but I can find a way to make it work. You know, maybe I can write for teacher sites. You know, I just kind of spitballed all these ideas and went forward practically with, okay, I have multiple options and plans to kind of make something happen no matter what. Um, so that's kind of like the practical answer. Um, and then the other answer is, you know, I just knew in my heart that there was always something I wanted to do with writing. And so it really was just little steps to kind of make that happen. Um, while I was student teaching, I was uh, updating blogs. I had my original one and I made another one at that time. And it was like, okay, let's be consistent. Um, my biggest thing when I was student teaching is I created a blog that was dedicated to educational resources, cataloged my experiences as a student teacher, so it would be kind of like a resource base for other potential teachers. So that was kind of like what I was doing to combine both. And then I was submitting to different magazines. I was applying for writing jobs. So it was just a lot of how, if I want to do this for real, I actually have to do it, right? You know, I have to apply. I need to prepare myself. I need to have options for, you know, realistic ways to write professionally. And I think really what that all boils down to is just, you have to be willing to work really hard. If I were to just simplify it, if you actually want to 
do something you love as a profession. You have to trust that, you know, this is what you want to do and be confident in that. And then you just have to work really hard. Um, by the time I graduated college, I had um, bylines at like six different huge publications. I was running five different blogs. I was working 18 hour days. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be that ridiculous, but I just knew I knew I wanted to move um, to the West Coast. So I was working a bunch of jobs while writing, while kind of getting myself set up for, you know, where I was going to go next. And I think like, that's really important. People are like, oh, you know, creativity, I can, I can make this, you know, beautiful art piece and everyone's going to buy it. And it's like, well, yes, dream big, but also kind of give yourself the steps to get there. Because if you don't, you know, really discipline yourself in your art and you don't do it every day and you don't create options, then how is everybody going to know about your stuff to purchase it and or to to get it out into the world? Does that make sense? 100%. The issue I have with the kind of culture around arts that many of us were raised with in the schooling system is people come out of it and they don't even start. They've given up before it's even begun, whereas you are just pushing out so much content. Just writing, writing, writing. You have five blogs and six bylines. I mean... People don't understand, like, just because you like your art and you wish it was a, a career, you still might not actually be that good at it. You're going to have to get good at it if you want people to pay for it, just like any other job. And even if you are good at it, you still have to work at it. Like, I've had people say, oh, well, you're so good at writing. And it's like, yeah, because I worked really hard and, you know, really pushed myself. And I write every day. It's a discipline. It's like, people talk about going to the gym. It's like, yeah, I write every day. It's, you know, it's like working out where you actually have the practice of working your muscles to be able to, the more you work out, the more in shape you are, the heavier you can lift, et cetera. It's the same thing with writing where if you're practicing it every day, the easier it is to, you know, write something, you know, short, write something long, write a poem, write an article. So it's, it's the same thing in terms of practice and, and hard work. I'm hearing something sort of between the lines that I want to check in with you and make sure I'm not just making this up in my head. Some of the artists that I work with who struggle to put something out there suffer immensely from perfectionism. They're trying to create that one perfect song or that one beautiful painting or, you know, finish the book that they've been working on for like eight years and get it right, right out of the gate. Whereas I found, and this was kind of like good luck, if anything, my approach was just pump everything out even if it's rough draft and crappy and imagine like it won't be until you hit like piece number 500 that you start even getting good. So just get all the initial stuff out of the way. So I never really had a perfectionism problem with creating content, but a lot of people I see who never get out there, that's their issue. What, what's your take on that in terms of how you've been affected by that? If you have, or if you prefer to just sort of pump and dump and build from there. I think I lie somewhere in the middle now. Um, I do share this a lot on my uh, my business blog about overcoming uh, imperfection and overcoming perfectionism. And I call myself a recovering perfectionist is the term that I just um, kind of give myself because I really was like that, especially you know when I talked about my blog. It was months and months before I could actually hit publish to get something out there because I was like, well, it's not perfect. And I'm more or less that way with different things. Um, like my Instagram, for example, it's like, I really, I struggled for a long time because I wanted to have like a perfect feed, you know, how do I want these posts to look? And I, it, for people that have followed me over the last like five years, I've changed the layout of it completely. Two years ago, I like archived all of my posts 
And everyone was like, um, where's your stuff? Because I wanted to redo a completely different like layout. And then last year I ended up changing it again. So it's one of those things where it's like, I think I lie in the middle. I'm getting better. I think to be an artist, to be a creator, to be a writer, you have to get over that perfectionism or else you'll never get anything out there, like you said. Um, but I think some elements of your perfectionism is something that you can embrace positively because you are someone who's really dedicated to getting it right. You know, you don't want to put something out there that doesn't feel like your best work. And I think that's admirable. Um, I see that in myself a lot. Um, there's projects. I, I have a book. I have a full manuscript that is completely written, edited, ready to go. Um, but I'm dragging my feet on it. And I know I want to sit down with it and look over it again. And I want to make sure I find the right publisher. And so there's things like that, that like, I mean, I've been sitting on that for maybe a year and a half now, which is so frustrating because it's done. Um, but then there's posts that I write, you know, in an hour, hour and a half that, you know, they're not perfect, but they're pretty good, but I'm okay with, you know, this is still good content, even if it's not perfect that I can put out. So I think it's just a, embracing that side of yourself and saying, okay, this is a good thing and not shaming yourself, but then also like not holding yourself to impossibly high standards because what you think might not be that great you know, might really, really connect with someone and they're going to love it because it, they can't even fathom, you know, how you created it. So you have to find a middle ground somewhere. Otherwise, you're right, you'll just be stuck and never actually get something out there. You know, I think we're both coming to the middle from opposite ends. So I was the too scrappy end. So the stuff I put out was half thought out, poorly edited, you know, I'm talking about videos, everything. And now moving actually more towards putting a bit more effort in, trying to get things clear and polished more than I ever did before. And yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. If I try to get absolutely perfect, it will never leave my yeah. brain. But I actually, yeah, I struggled too much with like rushing things out. It's interesting, my current book that I'm working on, I've worked on a lot slower than the previous one, but I rushed the previous one out. And when I read some of it, I'm like, oh, the grammar's a bit bad. Just these little things, I'm like, that was just below the line of good to go, but it didn't have to go all the way up to perfect. So that's interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, most of the people I speak to, it's more they're on your side of the fence. They've gone from too perfect and they need to just ease off the pressure a little bit and let themselves release things. But I want to speak to what you said about your experience too, because I think there's a lot of value in that in general, in life, we're always going to go back to our old content and find something that we could fix or make better just because in time we grow and we change and our perspectives change and our skills change, um, you know, and we could be like, oh, maybe, you know, I could redo that. I mean, I'm constantly doing that with things like my own podcast when, um, where I just kind of started it, like you said, I just rushed because I knew I wanted to get it out there. And so I just kind of threw it out there. And then since then, I've redone the graphics four times. I'm in the middle of going back through all of my podcast posts and doing um, editing to the copy. So, I mean, I feel like that's an element of, you know, humanness where we're always going to have something to go back and fix. But there is value, in my opinion, of putting stuff out there, even when it's unpolished, because people will see the authenticity in that as, you know, as and as they grow with you as a creator, they're going to see you evolve as well from, you know, here's an, a video that might not have you know editing software and now a year down the road you have a beautiful youtube channel you know or whatever it is and i think there's value in that because if you kind of wait to have the perfect skills or maybe not even perfect but if you wait to have 
you know, the right editing software, or, you know, I'm going to wait on this until I get somebody on my team who I can pay to do X, Y, Z, you know, you're going to be waiting forever because it's so hard to get all those ducks in a row. So I think there's a lot of value to sometimes maybe not rushing, but like, if you're excited about it, let's get it out there. Let's share it. Even if it's not that great, because you can always change it as you grow, but if you don't get it out, then no one knows what you have inside you. I think there's value in that too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if anything, I'm too far down that, that end of the spectrum. What was I looking at? I think I was looking at YouTube the first time. My early videos are just, I can't watch them without cringing because of how just poorly done they are. And I feel, I'm sure I'll feel the same about current videos in five years. But I looked up when I first got started, I looked at, you know, how to get started. And the list was just overwhelming, you know, the, the equipment and the cost and everything. I thought, do I really need all of that? I've got videos where you see me turning the camera on and off, you know, I've got like that thing going on. <laughs> and I recommend that over trying to get it started perfectly for sure. Cause I think you've made a really good point that I think a lot of artists don't realize is you can actually go back and update. You can start over refresh. You're not like committed to some lifetime thing. You know, someone starts a podcast and they think, Oh, I hate the intro to that podcast, but I've got to use it forever. Um, no, you don't. You know, yeah. you can totally restart as long as the audience comes along with you and they know what's going on. They'll forgive you for upgrading for sure. Let's talk a little bit about how you help others do this. You know, you've obviously mastered it for yourself and you and I both know that, you know, passing that on to others is a whole new challenge altogether. I'm, I'm curious. I think a good place to start for that is I want to know a little bit about your clients, like who comes to you and why do they come to you? It's such a wide range, which I'm so incredibly thankful for just because it just gives me so much diversity in what I'm doing every day. And that, that to me is really important. I mean, obviously with writing my content and content for others and all the different things that I'm doing, it's, it's really a value to have clients with such um, diverse needs. So I have, um, I have such a mix. I have um, so there's content writing, which is writing for clients, but that's different. Um, in terms of writing coaching, um, I'll see uh, people that are students. So people maybe 20s, 30s, 40s that are, you know, looking for help with a dissertation or uh, a college essay or um, on the tutoring realm. It's, you know, how do I study, you know, these lessons, units, et cetera. Um, I have people that are in their 50s and 60s that are changing jobs for the first time in 20, 30 years and don't even know where to start in terms of writing a new cover letter or resume. I have people that are working on books, people that want to craft um, poetry, collections of poetry. It's very diverse in terms of whether it's creative or professional, uh, fun or for work, and yeah, a very wide age range. And I just, I really got into it because of my background in teaching and because I, I love that environment of, you know, helping people and seeing their success. And then in terms of writing, I, I wanted to become a writing coach because I feel like writing is one of those fundamental things that you need in every facet of your life. Like you need to know how to write an email. You need to know how to apply for a job appropriately. You need to know if you're in conflict with somebody and you know, maybe you're not talking face-to-face, -face, how to write a letter to them to tell them how you're feeling. I mean, those are just, in my opinion, things that we have to have. And so I, I got inspired because of teaching and just felt such, um, such a passion for wanting to help people 
to figure out what their voice and identity was and to kind of get their words out there in whatever way they wanted, whether that was to be published or, you know, just to have a, a better sense of who they are to write social media posts. I mean, anything. Um, and it kind of, it came from teaching and it also came from working at the, the magazine where at one point I was working with 250 contributors and I would get 50 to 75 submissions every single week. And that was, yeah, it was overwhelming. And um, what was frustrating about where I was in that position is I wasn't able to really pour into those people that were submitting. Um, it got to the point where a lot of uh, um, staff writers and editors were just told, you know, hey, you have to accept and reject. And that was really hard for me to reject people whose writing was, you know, it's almost there. It just needs, you know, a few things. Um, so that's kind of what inspired me to really start my business is because I wanted to work with people who had a passion for writing, but didn't have necessarily the, either the skills or the ability or the confidence to really take it from point A to point B. So starting writing coaching was all about working with people who, you know, for whatever reason, they needed help getting their words out there, or they needed help understanding what they were trying to say. And it just brought me so much joy to be able to say, hey, you know, these are the things to work on. And then watching them grow as a writer and then be able to see their own name, you know, with bylines and different places and, and stuff like that. So really, it's really been a fun and awesome and rewarding journey, definitely. Wow. Yeah, that's such a big range. This is what I love about your work is, is almost, I can't think of anything writing related that you don't have your hand in, you know, any type of writing, you got poetry to books, to cover letters, to emails, to blog posts, content. So you got like a really diverse range of people that you work with all coming to you for different reasons. Are their struggles equally diverse or is, you know, are there common things that they have difficulty with when it comes to writing or expressing themselves? Good question. Um, I think a lot of it is not knowing what their voice is. That's a huge thing, um, especially with people that are working on like longer or larger volumes of work. It's um, especially with nonfiction, it's kind of like, okay, what, what is my voice? What am I trying to say? That's huge. And then the other part is how do I say it? Uh, when I work with people that are looking to apply for different jobs or change careers, it's a lot of like, I have all this, um, you know, experience and expertise, but I don't know how to put that on paper. I don't know how to write about myself or brag about myself or, you know, simply state what I've done without sounding, you know, pompous or sounding like you could just Google a resume template online. So it, helping people find their voice and then helping people craft content about themselves, I would say are like the two biggest things that come with writing coaching. You know, I just had a memory as you're bringing that up. I used to be on the hiring panel for, for my old job. So we'd have to go through dozens of resumes, we'd call them CVs, cover letters and so on. And there'd be some people where like their writing wasn't great, but I was like, I'll give them a shot. And then in the interview, I'd be like, wow, your, your written stuff doesn't justify you at all. You're like, it didn't sell who you really are. Totally undersold, you undermined you. It was almost a shyness to it, a rigidity where they might just state like bold facts um, and nothing else. And then you speak to them, you're like, you're actually incredible. How is this piece of paper yeah. related to you? Can you help me understand a little bit more what you mean by somebody finding their voice? That, well, before I even get into that, in terms of like the, with resumes and the work content, that's what I tell all my clients is like this paper, as much as you don't want it to, 
is essentially what's going to define you before people get to know you. So it's like you have to have that content really speak to you. Um, and the biggest thing I see with like resumes and cover letters is that people will simply like state facts, like did this at this position. And it's like, no, like, what did you excel at? You know, why, why should they hire you because of this outstanding job you did doing that thing? So it's like sometimes a word choice thing too. It's not just simply like, let's state all the things I've done, but like, how did I, you know, kick butt at all of those things that I've done? So that's to that. Um, and then in terms of finding voice, that's such a complicated concept. I think finding your voice comes with practice of, you know, writing things that you care about, um, you know, understanding what your passions are, and then trying to put that into your work. Um, I'm actually, I have a, um, a video series that's, that's coming out this month. Um, and one of my first videos is actually on how do you find your voice? Because it's like this aloof concept. Um, and I, some of the takeaways are just trying to encourage people to think about how they speak in conversation and how they speak with people that they love or feel comfortable with. And it's like, how can you emulate that conversational style? And this is for more, mostly creative, but how do you emulate that conversational style and throw it into something you're writing and, you know, what matters and what's a value to you and how does that make itself apparent in the content that you're creating? And then in terms of professional it's like, okay, here's how I am in conversations. This is who I am at the core and what I care about. Now, how can I shift that into something that's written with a little bit more formality, yet still speaks to who I am? So that's kind of how I would at least start. Um, if I'm working with a, with a coaching client, it's I get them to write um, you know, short excerpts, like I'll throw them into a situation and you know, how would you react or what are you feeling? Um, just different things like that so I can see what's their natural you know, go-tos in terms of their sentence structure, in terms of their flow, in terms of, you know, their word choice, things like that. And then we kind of hone in on what is original and then help to develop that. Yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. You know, I, I read a lot of fiction and the best writers, you always know when you're reading their books because it's like their other books and you can't exactly say how, but it's their voice. Yeah. Stephen King always sounds like Stephen King. And I, I actually did a little exercise. It was by accident uh, to save time. I would transcribe my video content to turn it into blog posts. And then as I go through, I'm like, well, that's how I speak. And I started to adjust my writing to match my speaking, but also my speaking to match my writing. Cause I could edit that post to make it sound even better. It'd make more sense and be more articulate and have a better flow. My voice as I speak can improve as well based on feedback from my own writing and my writing can give feedback to my speaking. It goes back and forth. And yeah, like you say, it's hard to define what my voice is, but it's coming through. I know what you mean. Yeah. One of the questions I think this is kind of changing the topic a little, but it's such a common one. The excuse that I get from creative types, writers, artists, musicians, dancers is that they can't, make a business or a living out of what they do for two reasons. One, they believe that it can't make money. And two, they believe that there'd be some sort of selling out involved that it would diminish the, the nobility of their art or something to charge money for it. Usually in the statement, like I wouldn't enjoy it anymore if it was my job. What are your thoughts on that resistance? 
Well, it kind of ties into a resource that I wanted to share with your audience, um, kind of what I call my building light strategy, which really hones in on, you know, how do you take what a passion is and make it into, you know, either a business or, um, you know, something that could potentially make you money. And I think, you know, first it's like, if you're a creative person and you've honed in on, you know, where your heart lies or what you're passionate about, that's the first step. So it's kind of identifying what it is you care about. Um, for a lot of people, it's like maybe something they do on the side, side hustle. I know that's like a, a very key term. It's, you know, maybe something you do for fun that you've never really thought about taking it further, but you'd love to, but you know, how does that work? So first honing in on what that is um, and what you care about, and then trying to add that to your, to your life. So that's kind of like my, my step two. Step one is figure out what you like. Step two is how can I find ways to bring that passion into my daily life? So I have a, a client who's a photographer and also working on writing captions for her photography and building a website. And so for her, it was like, she just started by taking pictures of friends and then she made a separate Instagram account. And then from there it was, okay, I was taking more and more pictures. Then, you know, people started asking me, then I started, you know, okay, what, what could I charge? And so she started with like a, a very low blanket rate. And then as she grew, then the rate started increasing. So it's just taking that, those passions and finding time for it in your daily life, at least I would say at least once a week. And then, you know, depending on how that works and if you like it, then you can always add more time. Um, and then my step three would be to research. So if you want to actually make a living out of what you're doing, or if you want to take it from, oh, this is just for fun to, oh, this is a, you know, a money-making side hustle or whatever, um, you have to research and figure out how to do it and like whether or not it's possible in terms of, you know, do you have funds to potentially get this off the ground? Like what kind of, you, know, you mentioned um, with like the videos, you know, do you need specific equipment and kind of weighing out like maybe I really need, you know, better a better camera, but I don't necessarily need a ring light, or maybe I need a good microphone for my podcast, but I don't need, you know, editing software to hire somebody to do it for me. So you kind of like do the research to figure out what it is that you need to get started, how much that's going to cost, whether or not it's feasible. And then within that kind of plays into, okay, how do I get it started in terms of like, do I need to, you know, work a little harder? Um, when I mentioned that period of time where I was working 18 hour days, like I knew I was going to launch a business. So I was working a ton to save up money so that I could move so that I could have, you know, a whole new career. So maybe it doesn't need to be that crazy, but, you know, maybe you're doing something else to kind of supplement, to give you that foundation so that you can actually move forward into making this your career. And then the fourth, and in my opinion, the most important aspect of, of growing your life, growing your business, growing your passion into something lucrative is to really trust yourself um, and listen to yourself. It, it kind of plays back into the doubt that we talked about at the beginning where it's like, you know, people hold themselves back because they're like, well, this won't work out. You know, I, you know, it's no one's going to buy my stuff or, you know, the business is going to fail. Like I, I felt all of that before I launched. I was like, you know, I'm, you know, in my twenties, who is going to take me seriously? Who's really going to pay me to help them with writing or how am I going to reach clients? I don't really know a lot of like business marketing strategies you know, how am I going to grow? Am I going to have the funds to really do this full time? You know, what the heck? There was all of that doubt. Um, but I really felt like I could, and I really felt like I was driven to be successful. And so a lot of that was like trusting myself enough to be like, okay, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, like it doesn't work out, you know, that's embarrassing. I delete the social media accounts, we move on, but like, at least I'm trying. So it was really like trusting myself 
and going out there. So I think like those four steps are key, but a lot of it too is like, once you do the research and once you really figured out what it is you want to do, then how can you step-by-step step start to get there? Don't think huge, but think like, what's one little step? Like if I need to make, maybe I need to make a website. So before even making a website, maybe I'm going to look at two different hosting platforms, like break it down so that it's manageable as opposed to like, I need a website, I need a podcast, I need this, like, because then you'll just be stuck at a standstill because it seems so overwhelming. But like, what's one little step? Like, oh, go to Squarespace and WordPress and compare. Like that's manageable, you know? So just one little piece to get there, closer and closer and closer until boom, you're there. And then you just jump in. Everything you said 100% lines up with what I did as well. Actually, you and I are quite similar. We both started doing the work, but working for someone else. That was the first time, I think if I'm hearing you right, that we got paid. Like I got paid to be a probation officer, which is essentially coaching for the government. Mm -hmm. And you were writing for for magazines, right? And uh, online um, uh, websites and stuff. That's where we first started getting paid to do this. And then your four-step process kicks and you start like you're building your blogs on the side. I was coaching people for free in the afternoons and stuff. And then it was just little steps. Just little steps. And as you say, that fourth point, it kind of sounds the most um, conceptual, that believe in yourself, trust yourself. But I agree, like, there were so many times where there was no validation for me that this was going to work. Sometimes even nobody encouraging me. There was just me, my research, my vision, and my hard work. And that's all I had to go on. You mentioned something like, maybe this will all collapse and I have to delete my accounts and all that. I did something similar. I was like, look, I'll just go until I go bankrupt. And at least I tried. But because I was willing to put in that commitment to myself, like I go until failure, uh, I never did, at least not yet. We'll see what happens. It's amazing how simple you make it sound, and yet it is that simple. That's not easy. Like that's a lot of hard work you just described, but it's really straightforward, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think once we recognize that it, it kind of changes the game because it's not easy, but the process itself is simple. Like when you break it down and I think knowing that difference, like this isn't going to be easy, but it's the concept is simple. It, then it's like, Oh, this is manageable. Like this is possible. I can do this. And when you recognize that and recognize that you're not any different from, you know, the person that does has, have a successful business. I think that's where like, that's where I, I hope to see so many other people like launch their stuff because realizing that, you know, everybody is on the same playing field is really key. Like you, you see somebody that you admire and it's like, Oh, you know, I wish I could be like them. I mean, I, I do that all the time, but it's like, okay, well, I, I can be how, like, what are my actionable little tiny steps to get there? And then you just move and then you trust that you can. And you're, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm here but that's okay. You know, like I'm going to get there or to wherever I want to be. I just have to trust it and move. Absolutely. You know, I was just thinking there might be some people who, I guess I, I see this a lot in the creative types where they say I couldn't because that person has more advantage than me and so on. And I think of someone who's like listening to you and they think, Oh, I could never be a writer like her because blah, 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 whatever they come up with. And my question then was like, well, have you made as many submissions as she did at the start? You know, have you created as many blog posts? Have you tried to publish for as many magazines? Have you actually done the work and tried yet? 
have you actually failed yet or have you just imagined failing and stopped at that point? Because it is really scary, you know. I, I Sometimes I like to think, like, what advantages did I have? For one, I had, like, encouraging parents who allowed me to pursue artistic pursuits without going, that's not going to make money. And I know there's other people who didn't have that kind of encouragement at home. What kind of support did you have, if any, to pursue this passion? Um, I definitely had family support. And I think that, you know, that kind of plays into it too, is like, you know, is there an element of advantage or privilege? Um, And I try to speak about this, you know, in my work. When you come from a place of having, you know, that advantage, maybe that support system or whatever it is, you know, it does kind of put a different angle on what you've accomplished. Um, But I truly believe that it lies in your passion and your willingness to work hard. You could have you know, you could be given all of the things in the world, but if you're not choosing to work hard and to be passionate about what you're doing, you're not going to be successful. Um, and so it goes the opposite too. You know, you might not have the advantage of somebody that you're, you know, admiring on social media, or you might not have the privilege of, you know, a college education or, you know, whatever it is, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. Um, so for anyone listening, you know, if it feels like there's an element of privilege or an angle of, you know, oh, well, you know, you have a different lifestyle than I do. Of course, you know, everybody comes from different places and, um, you know, that's definitely possible, but your ability to be successful is dependent on you and the work that you put in and the passion that you have to take yourself from A to B to C to F to Q to Z. Couldn't agree more. You know, there's too many examples of very privileged people who are now working a crap job that they hate. And there's examples of people who came from the gutter and they're crushing it in an artistic field and everything in between. And the thing about the artistic field in particular is that it's self-made. There's essentially, there's nobody else you have to impress. Like if I want to be a good lawyer, I have to pass the bar exam and I have to be better than the other lawyers in my area. If I want to be a great musician, I just have to make my own music and put it out there. Like I don't have to compare. I don't have to qualify. There's really no excuse there to some extent, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I just always find it fascinating to like pick apart. I see you as an outlier, someone who succeeded in a field where most people are too scared to start, let alone succeed. Um, and it's just interesting to pick your brain as to what you did differently to the others. Actually, that, uh, that brings us sort of good point to kind of wrap up. And I want to hear a little bit more. Like if this a creative type, actually, I should clarify something with you first. Do you work exclusively with writers or is your creative coaching kind of broader than that? It's broader than that um, because I do have people that'll come with like their resume that are in the tech field or, um, you know, they work on cars, they're a mechanic, they're a salesperson. Um, so it's not exclusive to writers. I think the writing coaching principles, what I try to do is really make it unique to the, to the client. Um, so if someone's working on, you know, I want to make my voice better. I want to write more professional emails. You know, that doesn't have to be a writer. Whereas a writing client might be like, Hey, I want to be published on, you know, X magazine. Okay. Let's work towards that goal. So I really try to, in the coaching, make it individualized, make it personalized. Um, it's all one-on-one it's structured with flexibility. So it's really looking at that client and, and figuring out, okay, what, what do we need to work on to get you to where your goals are? So it's not exclusive to writers. Excellent. 
And uh, I think, yeah, from everything you've described so far, my awareness of, of kind of making it in the creative field, uh, you definitely know what you're talking about. And, and more importantly, you know how to break down how that happened. This wasn't just a natural fluke for you. You had to work hard at it. You and one of those like protégés discovered it seven and just everything's written for you. You had to build it all yourself. And that's important that someone starting fresh has a coach that can relate to where they are and what the next step is. So let's talk a little bit about that. If someone wants to work with you, uh, what's the best way to go about it? And, and what is it that you're focused on these days? Um, so in terms of the um, my business, it's called Be A Light Collective. Um, and then through Be A Light Collective, I offer content writing, uh, writing coaching, editing services, tutoring, um, and social media like content creation. So those are kind of the main facets. Um, I'm launching a video course uh, in this month. And my, my, my plan for this year is to also put out a online course that would be fully um, flexible and it's something that people could register and do um, at their own pace. So those are kind of all of the facets of the business. Um, and in terms of working with me, uh, the website is bealightcollective.com. Um, I try to make it pretty easy to navigate where if there's just um, a place where you can contact. Um, I would say most of my clients just directly reach out to me through the contact link and say, you know, this is what I'm working on. Can you tell me what would be the best fit? Because in terms of like editing versus writing coaching, for example, some people just want an editor to work um, on, a, on projects with them, to work on pieces with them. Um, and that's kind of different as opposed to coaching where it's more of the one-on-one, -on -one, let's sit down, let's pick apart your writing, let's work on specific things. Um, I like coaching to be more about, you know, in general, what, what you're working on. Um, it doesn't have to be, and what I mean by general is it doesn't have to be a specific piece that you're looking at. It's more of like, if you're working on word choice, let's you know, set up our calls to be focused on all the facets of word choice, personal, professional, creative. Um, so th there's a difference between like the writing coaching and the straight editing services. Um, but it's all navigated where you can use the contact link or you can click on the specific service and inquire about a quote. Or if you feel really confident, you can um, purchase it right from there. Um, but I would say reaching out via email is the easiest approach or social media is fine too. Um, because I like to meet uh, prospective clients, kind of talk through them, share um, a little bit about who I am, why I do what I do, and kind of make you feel comfortable in terms of what we're going to be covering so that there's no question about, hey, what is this? And like, why do I need to have a video call with you or meet with you in person? Or what are we going to be doing so that I try to meet before any services and uh, kind of talk that through? Also offer free um, consult calls to kind of do the same thing if um, if not over email. Excellent. Yeah, I'll include all the links and stuff below wherever this is posted um, okay. so people can follow up. But I really like the sound of that. And uh, cool, I'll, I'll put people onto that. And, and last thing, what, what can we expect from you coming up next? I know you've got the video course coming out. Uh, what else will you be bringing out in 2020 for people to look forward to? So speaking it into existence, um, I'm going to launch the video course. I plan to launch an online course as well. Um, I have a book that I've been sitting on for a year and a half that I'm hoping to actually get out uh, to the publisher at some point in this year. And then I want, I have a couple other smaller projects, one of which is a devotional that I've been promising my audience for like a year. So those are the big projects that I'm um, looking to work towards in 2020. And um, just to mention for your audience, uh, with my coaching, 
if anyone um, is interested in services and they want to um, mention this podcast, I will offer 15% um, off all coaching packages. So whether that's single hour or um, a longer package of sessions, if you use the code, uh, the code inspire light, that will be 15% off. So it'll be easiest if you just contact me directly and mention the podcast, but um, that's the code that you can use to get a discount on the coaching. Nice. Good deal. Because people need to listen to the end to get that one, which is good. <laughs> um, fantastic, Marissa. Look, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and, you know, giving us some really like high quality tips and, and advice. You know, there's some advanced stuff there, but you made it really simple. Um, and I really hope people are listening because as far as I'm concerned, any excuses someone has to pursue their creative passion been challenged severely by by what you brought up in the best possible way and that's yeah that's the word really is possible is they're really unless there's some sort of severe thing that we can't imagine holding them back this really is possible for anyone who's willing to put in the work and learn and take the time needed so thank you so much for coming on the call